Hey there, it's Antonio back with another episode of Who Cares If You Listen. And on this week's podcast, I sat down with Daniel Nadeau. Dan and I went to high school together. I wouldn't really call us best of friends or chums or anything like that. But through the magic of social media, you get to keep in touch with a lot of people and kind of see what they're up to. And Dan is someone that I found very interesting for quite some time. He's an artist, a novelist, a painter sharer of dank memes and recently during the age of covid he decided to take a three-week trek by foot from his home in montreal to quebec city Uh, i found this to be really fascinating i wanted to ask him all about it the idea of people going on a journey whether that is literal or metaphorical kept coming up in our conversation very organically I thought it was really cool. I'm not going to give any spoilers as to the talk, but I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And if not, well, who cares if you listen? I I don't know if I've made it. I don't know how one makes it doing a podcast. I don't know what the goal is. You know, who cares if you listen? That's the title. (laughs) <laughs> really no it isn't don't <laughs> that's, a, that's that's the title of my podcast that's funny man that's... i i stole i stole it from and i've told this story i think on every episode so far milton Babbitt. perfect he was a serialist composer in the 1950s it's like really mm. you know it's not stuff you're gonna whistle to work but i mean right. he, was, he was very well aware of that and he wrote this article in one of these music journals in the 1950s saying look I want to create new things. I want to do things people never done before. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're in the university. The university is not about appealing to the creature comforts of Joe sure. Sixpack. I want to do new <laughs> sure. things. So I can't be bothered to worry about whether or not you're going to be whistling this tune to work tomorrow. Right. I mean, I think he went, I think he went out way out the other end of the spectrum. But sure, sure. Then after, yeah. after he wrote this, originally it was like, you know, the artist as innovator, I think was his working title. And then mm. in the last minute, he's like, who cares if you listen? <laughs> and he, re- he, recanted, he recanted like 30 years later, but I feel like that's. <laughs> <laughs> he listened. People listened. That's the problem with that title, though. At the end of the day, like it's it, 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 the, the prophecy it's, that it fulfilled. It's one. It's one of those things that, like, you know, like people who try to act like they're very serene and calm, but they still got mm. that fire in them. Like, invariably, mm. you're gonna listen to other people, and it's gonna mm. bother you, even if you know intuitively that you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You gotta listen to something. At the end of the day. I feel like you're a person that like goes to the beat of his own drum. I don't feel like you go in the wind of popular opinion. I don't know. Like what a beat. A beat. Yes. I'll say yes. I'll just say yes to that. I mean, but it's almost that it's out of a, it's out of a survival instinct more than anything else. Or, or maybe different survival is not the right word, but just instinct. Like, like, how do you feel when you watch uh, uh, TV for an hour, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the commercials come on every, every 7.26 minutes during that time, right? You start to feel a bit like flat by the end of it. And yeah. I really feel that. I really, really feel that. And I don't forget that feeling, you know? So, so it, it's almost like 
ah, it's a, it's a form of thrill seeking in a way, right? Like, like uh, if I, I feel confident that if I go back to watch a show, ah, I'm going to get that feeling. So instead, what are the other frontiers? You know, what are the other, the other things that I can do to push that, that thrill, that edge in terms of, in terms of just on, on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like, like a good example is just walking a new way to the store is a good example of that. Like I always go this way. I always go down this road and turn left here and turn right here and go down this. Well, and you know what? I'm going to take the long way today because maybe I'll come up against something that, that freaks me out, you know, or, or whatever. So going the new way, mm. it's, it's like a form of thrill seeking is what mm. I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. Like a form of, uh, and that thrill seeking being a form of like, uh, like, like uh, what's the word? Uh, 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 it's therapeutic. It's a therapeutic yeah. thing. It's a therapeutic thing. I that's a really. That's a, that's a really. I I really value that perspective. I'm very curious about it. I think it's so cool because, you know, whenever a lot of people get into this mindset about, oh, I really wish I could do some painting. I really wish I could pick up a musical instrument. I want to do something creative. I mm. want to express myself. But then you know, there's this sort of force where you just end up sitting on the couch, staring at your phone or watching mm -hmm. TV for three or four mm -hmm. hours. And they don't, they can't pull themselves away, even with those commercial breaks every seven and a half minutes. So that's, mm -hmm. it, I think it's either it's something unique to you or you figured out some kind of a life hack. Mm. Uh, it's hard though. Like it's not, it, does, it doesn't get easier, if that makes sense. Like I still... Uh, still have absolutely it's like a groove right it's a form of momentum I, I yeah. did this yesterday I did this the day before I did this the day before so it draws me back in right every day it draws me closer to itself you need uh, that like, reinforcement sure like, or, or I would say I don't think we need it so much as it is just there if that makes sense right like like a valley that the water has run down continuously. Like it's right. the water that causes the groove, which causes the water that causes the groove, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera you know? You're just forming, you're forming habits. I think what that's, mm. that's sort of how you're describing it, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and there's sort of two sides to that, right? Because you get strength of water flow from concentrating all of the water, right? Like you get this roaring river, but at the same time, it also doesn't, you know, you're always in the same groove. Um, and if you want to change, let's say you've been doing something one way for hmm. years and then you decide it's not working for you anymore, you've got to fight against that groove. Yeah, you've got to claw out of the, the, the raging river and back up the bank to get up to the top of it and to look around and be like, well, where else might I want to go? You know? Yeah, totally. Speaking of where you want to go, I mean, what really got me interested, I mean, I've always found you interesting, but... Uh -oh. I heard about I heard about <laughs> your trip from Montreal to Quebec City, mm. and what 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 is the impetus? I mean, I've all, I've I've done a few mm. walking trips. I thought I was very ambitious walking from the P in the Parliament Hill. It took all day long. We stopped sure. at about we stopped at about nine bars along the way, <laughs> and, and and you know, fun was had by all. But yeah, sounds nice. It was lovely, but I mean, that's a a. a pales in comparison to how long how many days did it take to go from montreal to quebec city by foot I, I mean i didn't i didn't count i didn't count them day 
wise. It was about three weeks though. It was a little over three weeks that it took. And I, and I took five days off during that period because uh, uh, there's a few days that I woke up and it was thunder and lightning. So I'm like, no, forget it. I'm going back to bed. Uh, there was another day where it was like 40 degrees hot. So I'm yeah. like, nope, you know, you just go to the, go to the motel, like desk, be like, I need another night. And they nod sagely. Like they totally understand, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. What was the impetus? Well, I mean, I've done, it's not my first walking trip. Uh, I didn't always sort of, uh, sort of never felt comfortable with uh, like long bike trips, long car trips. I feel like that's too much stuff going on, too much mechanics going on. And if I'm gonna go on a trip myself, I sort of, I'd rather just deal with the body. So it started off with that. Um, and I, I've been, you know, I walked around the West Coast a bunch of times. I did the West Coast Trail. The real thing that really sort of tied me to it was uh, a trip I got to go on with my dad, actually. He, he called me, this was in 2016, uh, and, and asked me a few months before he was leaving if I wanted to walk the uh, Compostela Trail with him. So that was exactly what I thought of when I heard about this walking trip. Because I know mm -hmm. a few people have done that trip. So I mean, tell tell me about tell me about that trip first of all. Oh, it's very beautiful. How to? It's it's it's. Mm. Have you ever done something that feels really ancient? like like walking around some pyramids or like uh, some ruins or something like you just being somewhere that has this this history this really thick supportive history around it no it actually, but i feel like i should well it's interesting because it maybe connects to that idea of the groove right because like this pathway that you walk along the sort of the north of spain it's very much this this very supportive like uh, as soon as you get there, there's signs and these little yellow arrows that point the way. And there's a place to stop to have coffee every hour or so. And there's all these old mountains and old castles and everything. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard because you have to walk, you know, six to eight hours a day. But at the same time, it's very convivial. You know, it's very like civilized. And it's a, oh my God. It was very beautiful, but uh, I recommend it to anyone who can do it and especially to go with people uh, because what I took away at the end of the day from it was just all the time I got to spend with my dad. That was crazy. I'm so thankful Kidding. for that. I'm so thankful for that. We got to argue with each other about like gender roles and the future of humankind and stuff. And it was as really one, nice. As one does on a pilgrimage as, walk. As one does, you know, when you spend literally every waking moment with this man who you haven't spent much time with for a decade and he's from a different generation and you just got to get on his nerves about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. As you do. That is a really cool trip to do with, with anyone, let alone your dad. I can mm -hmm. only imagine. Uh, and you don't strike me as the kind, like I know from other people who have done the Camino de Compostela. There's like the hop on hop off buses. If you can't yeah. really do the whole hike, like you, you, you strike me as the kind of guy who's going to tough it out. It's cheating. That's what we, we, we did it. We did that a few times, I will say, but it was always this with this sense of guilt. Like we're cheating. Why are we, okay, we got to cheat today. We got to cheat a little bit today, you know? <laughs> but. I hear you. But so is there that same sense of pilgrimage with going from, is there a sense mm. of pilgrimage with going from Montreal to Quebec City? Absolutely. Not, not in the same sort of historical sense, but in a sure. personal, in a personal sense, they're all, that kind of a journey. They're all 
that kind of a uh, transformation, I guess, is, is sort of, that, that's really what I understand the, the purpose of a pilgrimage, even going back and going back and going far back, like the, the, the Compostela, it was about transforming yourself into a more holy person, right? Or, or sure. there was, you know, there, there, there used to be prisoners that were let out to do the Compostela and then sent back to jail because it was this thing that like, maybe they'll get better if they do that. So, and that was a big part of what got me saying like, oh man, I need to do this on foot. I need to go out because I wanted, I was feeling kind of weak and feeling sort of stuffed in a corner, you know? And I think it, we all are in sort of this day yeah. of, of, of all times to do that kind of a hike. Like I, I really haven't left a concentric circle around my house mm-hmm. and, and, you know, doing that kind of a trip, you're definitely, if you're feeling cloistered, that's the, the antithesis to that. Yeah. I mean, kind of at the same time, I mean, it's still that, that, that bubble around yourself still exists outside though. There are some people who don't respect it, but at the same time, like, it's not like I saw that many people on the road, you know, it's not like the the hotels weren't very busy, you know. I wouldn't imagine they would be these days. So mm. is this a kind of thing where you plan ahead and get a map with your itinerary and your route or are you going by the seat of your pants? I, uh, I made an itinerary, but only for my mom. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely just just strictly i mean it it it, at the end of the day it did help i will say it helped me a little bit but it was mainly something to just like she's just having a heart attack over there and i'm like listen listen lady i got this i got this document for you that will put this all together and i just sent it over to her and she was so happy she's like oh thank you you know and it was like a bunch of fine print in it like will change daily if situation requires which it did uh yeah see the pants mostly like i for example and this is the kind of stuff you learn i i would call around lunchtime the the place that i was sort of trying to find a place to sleep in because i spent it mostly in in motels and stuff i camped a few times but mostly motels and calling at around that time i got a lot of room upgrades so I think that might be, we're talking about life hacks. That might be an actual life hack is if you call a place for that night at around after lunch, the person was always really happy to hear from me. And then they, they were always like, oh, well, we do have, I mean, this, this nice big room is probably going to be empty tonight. So you might as well have it for the normal price. Like, oh, thank you. Why? Thank you. So yeah, call the day of, but a little bit after lunch. I was told, I've never used this trick, but I was always told, always ask if they can do a free upgrade because oh. the transactional cost of them saying no is next to nothing. There's, <laughs> okay. always, there's always the 0.1% chance that they're going to say yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Damn, I don't a little know. upgrade with that or something? Find some way of just like slipping it in? Like, you got any upgrades today? Well, all right. Beautiful. No <laughs> So you, so, you go from, so you go from Montreal to Quebec City. I had mm-hmm. no idea that this trans Canada trail was even a thing. They have an app Mm. that hasn't been maintained since like 2014. It's an absolute tire fire. And, and, and from what you tell me, the trail itself is not too much better. Well, it's, it's, it's basically like, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to get too, too cranky 
on, on your nice podcast or something. No, but cr- crank away. <laughs> crank away. It can't just be me bitching all the time. All right, all right. It's like, it was definitely uh, invented by three pencil neck guys in Ottawa who are like, we need a trans can. We need a, we need a something to get the people happy. You know, we need a, we need a grant, but we need it to cost next to nothing. So well, how do we do that? And somebody had the great idea of the trans Canada trail, which is an incredible idea. If that was a real thing. Oh my God. That was, that's a huge. Well, I, I, when, when I heard about this, I was like, Oh my <laughs> God, I could just, I could just put a bindle around my shoulder and go to Yellowknife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and you still could, but you'd have to walk along highway and stuff because what they did is they sort of took exit. So, so there are lots of trails in Canada and there have been for hundreds of years. Some of them yep. are incredible. So what they did is they took this bird's eye view of the country with all of the trails that were already on it. You know what I mean? Like yep. just every single trail that already existed. And they're like, okay, how do we connect these in a continuous line from the West to the East? And they just like took a pencil essentially and just put it, because there's and, definitely a loop-de-loop around Yellowknife going back to BC, which, yeah. which, which seems like a bit of a detour, but the way you describe it as sort of a marketing exercise where ex mm-hmm. post facto, they decided yeah. to make it trans-Canadian. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it gets really sketchy when you start looking at it and, and realize that in order to cross uh, you know, from Sudbury to uh, halfway across Manitoba, you are required to have a canoe. It's a, it's a water trail. It's, it's a blue, it, it goes from a green line to blue line across through these canals and waterways and stuff. And I was just like, man, you're really, I understand it's postmodernism and everything, but you're really stretching the definition of what a trail is, right? Now. I mean, unless it's, win- unless it's winter, I guess. Uh, okay, but if there's anybody crazy enough to be walking towards the prairies in the winter, I don't know. I don't know if they're on the trail, man. That's a true, that's a true, that's a true, a true rugged Canadian at that point, I suppose. Yeah, but I mean, but I mean, any, any day of the year, you have to be in Sudbury. So, I mean, that's always, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I know people who live in Sudbury. Oh, yeah. I've been, I, are you, have you been to Sudbury? I have been to Sudbury, actually. I went to Sudbury on my first attempt at the Trans-Canada Trail was from North Bay to Sudbury. That was wow. the first place that I first learned that the Trans-Canada Trail is fake because it, it was telling me to do things like walk 40 kilometers today down the other Trans-Canada with the highway with no shoulder. I'm like, man, that's not, that's not any instruction you give another human. That's like a death sentence, man. Uh, yeah, I mean... So what? So so from Montreal to Quebec City, what is what is the low point of that trail? What is what is the part where you're just saying, mm. you know, I need a I need to figure out a detour route because this is not working for me. Hmm. Uh. Well, like, by, probably uh, about a week in when I got into Magog. It was maybe six days in, I got into Magog. And there are a bunch of satellite towns around Montreal that are basically sort of these vacation spots. Sure. For, for people like weekend like vacation. Chamblon and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. And Magog is one where it's kind of like a little lake, sort of a New England type thing with docks and, and little restaurants and that kind of stuff. And I got there and it was 
packed wall to wall all through the streets with people. And this was like pretty early on in the, in the quarantine plague stuff. And I was just like, man, like, have I wandered somehow into like Las Vegas hell, Quebec edition? And then, and then all of the hotels were like full up and I had to call around and I was just in there like, uh, it was basically exactly what I was trying to get away from. You know, I walked into this and it was it felt like Quebec Disneyland. And I was just looking around like, what have I got myself into? I was, I've been, I'm walking to find peace, you know, some kind of like sense of, sense of tranquility. Well, so hold the- on. So, so in the middle of like, you started this in May? Yeah, June. So, June. So, okay, so, so in June, I guess we were phase one and a half phase two whatever you want to call these these phases i don't know if quebec has on, phases we don't have phases you're in ontario yeah yeah okay there's phases in ontario quebec just kind of has like just like various announcements roughly yeah. timed with the rest of the country so okay I, we could say yes okay well we, we we were starting to kind of you know we we saw our shadow and then we bunkered mm. down for three months and then we slowly started to burgeon but from what you're saying, it sounds like this place was already in like the full thrush of things, like all the Montrealers had escaped to here and it was just packed in June. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's, it, was, it was thick. It was that's got to be unnerving in the best of times. But like during mm-hmm. COVID, I mean, mm-hmm. like were, I mean, were, were there any parts where you were like really nervous going on this route just because of disease and pestilence and that sort of thing? I was, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not how to say I made my peace with the invisible stuff. So, so I don't, I don't necessarily, cause I've done a bunch of traveling before and I've been sick in, you know, Central America in a, in a nasty slum bed with flies all around me and stuff like that. So like in terms of uh, personally sort of looking around and seeing plague coming at me, I don't, I don't, I don't worry about that as much as I worry about uh, panic that's what I worry about. I worry about like, yeah, I worry about getting into a town and nobody in that town selling me food because I'm an outsider. That's something that I worry about. This is apparently uh, the golden age of the preppers. Mm-hmm. Like there's been people who have been building bunkers for 30 or 40 years. And it's like, this is our moment. Like we thought there was yeah. going to be cold war <laughs> shit going down. It didn't happen, but like yeah. now it's time to get in with your cans of corn in the shed. Mm-hmm. So, that that you know, Y2K guy who, you remember the story of the Y2K guy who put all those buses, those school buses together and then buried them. And that was his big bunker that he had. He was on the news a bunch of times. Everybody was I laughing at him. Vaguely it. remember that. Yeah. Everybody was laughing at that guy. And now he's like, oh, finally. I, can bust I, out I the told bus bunker you so. <laughs> There's something about I told oh, you so that really, like, people need that. It's a sense mm, of catharsis. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It, it's that sense that I, I, I just actually read it earlier today about masks and how mm. you might remember in March, people were like, masks don't work it's bullshit it's not going to help you prevent covid and then may everyone's like no 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 you got to wear a mask every time you go outside wear a mask masks 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 mm-hmm. and now they're, they're saying well what was the reason why you didn't think masks worked in march well 
it's because we didn't have enough masks and we want to save it for the people that were actually going to need them because there's <laughs> nurses and doctors in Emerge. We knew all along, but we just didn't have enough masks. So it's kind yeah, of yeah. like, uh, you know, we wanted to avoid the stampede of Buffalo at the watering hole. Okay. But so, but that's, that's, you admitted you just lied to me. So why should I believe you now? Right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> because I had a good reason for it. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, repeating things that I've heard. And then somebody mm. who knows more than me is going to tell me that what I just repeated is a complete crock of shit, but sure. you know, who, who, we're in this together. Yeah. We're in this together. We're just trying to figure this thing out one day at a time together. I, I yep. that, that's, that's sort of a, a what, what do you call it? That's an easy thing to say, but I honestly really believe that and really feel that with people who are out there like being open with each other these days. Cause a lot of people are really closed off, but there's still, a, a number of people who are out there being hopeful, you know? Yeah. It, it definitely it's become this. Yeah. Like a lot of what we've lost is certainty. Right. So, so we've just got to go, well, if we pull the curtain a little closer then, all right, we'll just, we're here, we're here with our families. We'll go forward day at a time. I think. Nice. I like that. I, I, I enjoy that sentiment because I think there are a lot of people that are trying to, be in the moment because they don't really have any sense of security that might have been there mm-hmm. a month ago, six months ago, a year ago. And they mm-hmm. don't know, people are wondering when we will go back to normal and we don't know what normal is going to look like anymore. Yeah, that's it. We've got a, we've got a new normal that we have to almost build from like almost very little. It's, it's a very daunting task. Yeah. So your new normal, I mean, you finished this journey. It was three weeks long. You arrived in Quebec City. How long were you in Quebec City for? I stayed there for a week, and then I kind of got antsy, and I started walking again further north, but then it just became the, the sort of the Trans-Canada Trail uh, kind of fell off at a certain point. It, it, it turned into another highway portion, and I just kind of shook my head at it. I was like, yeah, it's not... I did, I did my part. I'm going back, you know? So now you're in, you're in Trois-Rivières, good old Three Rivers. Mm-hmm. How did, how did, how'd you settle on Trois-Rivières? <laughs> well, I, I met a guy within the first five days of walking uh, just outside of Iberville. His name was Jimmy. And he was very distraught looking guy with long, straight, dark hair and like a Metallica t-shirt. And he was riding a bicycle with a bunch of like stuff hanging off it. And we struck up a conversation at a, at a park bench and he said he was out looking for new places to live because he was sick of living where he was living. And he was just, he started rattling off all of these places. He's like, I can't stay in Montreal, it's too busy. I'm like, yeah, man, that's true. He's like, I can't stay in Quebec City because it's a terrible, terrible place. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that. Okay. I grew up in I grew up in Sherbrooke, he said. And I, I just I can't live there anymore. It's too it's too crazy there too. I'm like, okay. Uh, I didn't Sherbrooke was I didn't there for like half an hour or something, but I can't verify that. He says, I'm living in Trois-Rivières right now. I've been there for several years. It's the best place in Quebec, he says to me. Whoa. But I just, I want to I wanna move somewhere like out into the country by myself. 
That was his whole shtick. And that just, and I was like, cool, man. Well, I can't really help you. I'm just, I'm just wandering, you know, like it was nice to meet you, Jimmy. See you later, Jimmy, you know? And those words came back to me when I was in Quebec because I had vaguely planned on staying there in Quebec City. And it was just really, it's a very hostile place. It's, it's, I never have I been to a city where the, uh, the, the division between the rich and the poor is so graphically apparent. Like, like all of the rich people live up on a hill in a castle, mm-hmm. literally overlooking the poor people down below. Ridiculous. And you can feel that in the streets too. I just, yeah, it was not. Reminds uh, me of Budapest. I've been there before. Mm, and it's I've like never been. The, the, the royal capital of Buda was mm-hmm. where like all the aristocrats were. And then Pest was the peasant village across the river. And they just mm. kind of shoehorned them together with, uh, with a bridge. And so you see these like, mm. si- you know, the 16th century Baroque architecture. And then mm. these like gray Soviet tenement blocks <laughs> in the bottom. <laughs> It's, it's 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 the european equivalent of like being separated by the train tracks yeah yeah totally i can imagine even like the color difference and everything is just oh, so 100 percent one head color yeah. <laughs> oh my god i yeah. mean i guess gray is a color but that's that's interesting you don't use i've always prided myself on saying canadian cities don't have that stark like you go to ottawa and like vanier is side by side with rockwood park and right, there's a right. sort of sense of pride that like we don't segregate the way that they do in America. We're always mm-hmm. we always reflexively have to say, you know, well, in America, you know, we're not Detroit over here. We're not uh, Flint. We've got this and that. But you're saying yeah. Quebec, Quebec's got a a, a, a flavor of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I've spent my last before that almost 10 years in Montreal where it's yeah, there, there are definitely richer neighborhoods and poorer neighborhoods. But it is very much, you know, you'll have a, a $20,000 house beside like this rent for 500 bucks a month place, you know, anywhere in the city. So absolutely, that mixture is something that I almost started to take for granted. And then right. just feeling, feeling the sort of, yeah, the dismissiveness of the castle up on the hill in Quebec was too much for me. It was way too much for me. So I heard the voice and came to Trois-Rivières from there. And it's kind of, this place reminds me of Sudbury talking about Sudbury it's almost like the Sudbury of Quebec to me okay there's like not much going on there's like trains you know that's uh, that's about it but I mean my my experience with Sudbury was Elm Street I was there for court Mm. and (laughs) it's it was just like like Rideau Street beneath the Rideau Center here in Ottawa just stretched out across like six miles it was just Mm -hmm. it felt it felt like Sticky. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of paranoid. Like I was listening to your, your Jimmy story there a few minutes mm-hmm. back, and you know, just thinking of myself at 34, I still have a lot of stranger danger. I don't know that I'm going to strike up a conversation with Jimmy. He seems like, I don't know. I mean, was what do you do? You, do you like like? Did you talk to a lot of people on the trail? Do you strike up conversations with? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty. I would say I'm like a, I'm a certified introvert. I'm a certified introvert. I've lived by myself for yeah. over ten years. Um, I've been single now for over four years. I haven't been counting. Okay. Uh, so like, 
some days that's how I get my socializing is talking to strangers. Like that I, I'm doesn't in, sound like an introvert though. I feel like well, the introvert doesn't want to talk to the stranger. Oh no, don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't mix it up. Introvert just means that like talking to people takes energy away from me. You know what I mean? As opposed to fills me up with energy. Whereas being alone recharges my batteries. You know what I'm saying? I think you're thinking about shyness, which is a different thing. Some huh. people are like shy. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So they can be they can be satiated by having a conversation, but just with somebody that they know. They have to be in that comfort level. Uh, I don't know. Like uh, you mean an extra an extrovert? I I don't know if I mean an extrovert. Here's here's I, how I here's how I think maybe we should come to terms first. Here's how I I think, I think that's a good idea. An extrovert to me is somebody who goes to a party where they know everybody. Okay. And has a great time and leaves that party feeling like they almost just had a coffee or something. You know, yeah. and you know, these people, they burst out of the party. They're like, where are we going next? What do we do now? I'm full of life now from all this talking, right? Me, right. if I go to a party where I know everybody and it's an amazing party, I have a good time. Still, I leave that party and I'm like, I'm, I gotta go guys. I gotta, I got it's time to go. I got to go home. I got to sleep. I'm tired. You know, because it's like being by myself is how I charge my batteries. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I'm just. It doesn't mean that I don't like people. I love people. I'm desperately in love with humans. They're cool as hell. But I, I enjoy people. But, you know, one, one of the things that definitely came out in law school is like, I would enjoy getting together one-on-one -on -one with one of my friends like once every three months if mm. that and mm. like you know we go someplace that is dead quiet and maybe share a drink and play a game of chess and we will yeah. chat we will chat and then you know we'll go our separate ways and I don't have to work a crowd. I don't have to talk to people I don't already know. I mm. don't have to try and introduce myself 11 times. Like doing like a mm. social mixer with professional contacts is hell. Holy, holy. You're brave for doing any of that, frankly. It's, I, it's, 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 you know, it was years of people telling you, you have to do that. That's what you have to do. Mm. You have to network. I don't know why you have to network, but somebody told me I have to. So you do it. Mm. Because decisions on that level maybe are made in this sort of snap intuitive way where it's like, I need a new guy. Maybe that guy I met at the party last night is the guy, you know? And but but it, it never seems to work that way. <laughs> okay. Net, networking, networking ends up being this big scam where like everybody, mm. I, I, should, I should backpedal. Networking in the sense of like speaking to people organically and getting to know them on a personal level and mm. getting people to know who you are and what you do is helpful. Yes. Going to like a networking event where everybody is going there. Everybody wants something. Everybody, Wait. So everybody, it's like you're there to network. It's like a networking exactly. meeting. They That's have weird. Those. Yeah. That's they, weird. Like, they have what they have ones for lawyers. They have ones for like young professionals. They have ones for business owners. Yeah. And like, you're literally going there just to sell yourself every five minutes to somebody new and, and everybody can only see you at this very superficial level because 
they're trying to size you mm-hmm. up to see what can I get out of you. Are there even activities? Like, is there, are you doing stuff when you're there? Or is it literally there's, like... There's like alcohol. <laughs> that, no, I mean, there's an open bar and then people will give business cards. Wow. I just, that seems, that seems strange to me. Like, I, I, I can it only is. imagine, I mean, a party is one thing because there's like, maybe there's an event or something or just people are coming over to my house to let loose and they'll be dancing and music or something. Right. That's one thing because there's no, there's no boundaries on that. But even when you're like a four-year-old and your parents set up a play date, like the kids just kind of look at each other, right? And then they're like, do you want to play video games? And then right? put, there's an activity, there's something, you know? This was one of my biggest complaints about law school. And I don't want this to just be like me venting like therapy. Over <laughs> so but, good. But, but, but like, there were a lot of times where it's like, you know, can we play a board game? Can we, like, does somebody have a, somebody have an Xbox? Like we're literally just sitting on someone's mm. Chesterfield, just pounding beers. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I enjoy alcoholism as the next much as the next person stuck in COVID, but you know, I just, I feel like they're neat. That's just too flimsy a premise for me. Right. Right. And like, I've already thought of enough different ways of explaining my personal professional goals to you. You know, I've tried to come up with a cool way to do it. So now you know what I want and there's still like two hours left at this event. Like, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Hope that we have some vague thing in common, like some sport we both like the driving through. Ah, Yeah, man, man. That's, it's hard. It's hard. Cause like, if not that, then what? If, so, if not that, then what? So Trois Riviere. So you've been there now, how long? About a month, two months? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Work, 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 working, working class, uh, mm. b- blue collar, very Francophone town. Mm-hmm. Re- mm-hmm. Recommended to you by Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy. That's the, just... the, the, the long hair Metallica man with the, with his world on his bicycle. God bless him. I hope he's fine wherever he is. Did he, so did it live up to the, to the hype? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he didn't really say much hype. He just said it was the best place to live in Quebec. That's a hype. That's a hype train. Like, I feel like, yeah, I mean, personally, personally, I'm going like Montebello. Like I want, I want mm. the scenery, but, mm. but I, maybe it's, maybe it's not about living there. It's just about you. Like you can experience it for days at a time, but you couldn't actually live somewhere like that. Right. Right. I mean, the, cause the scenery is still here. Like I can walk a few hours North and I'm in the trees, you know? So it's, it's, that's part of actually, but that's a, a few hours. Part of the benefit. Oh, That's a well, few hours north. I had, I had nothing to do all day but walk to, to the forest and go and draw I, some pictures of it. So I mean, I think I think literally any town with more than a thousand people in Canada, you can walk a few hours north and find some foliage. Oh, man, that's true. That's not true in Montreal, where I just was. You would, would have to take a bus or something. Mm. Really? There's nothing yeah. nice on the North Shore of Montreal? There is. It's just far far you got to go through laval you got to go through all a bunch of stuff i guess we we've already defined introvert and extrovert or or attempted to we need to find what a few hours walk is what's a few hours for you (laughs) yeah two okay 2.5 maximum is a few maximum two and a half okay after that it's after that it's like some i don't know (laughs) some hours away so, so I think I think Ottawa would meet the definition. Montreal, maybe not so much. Toronto is a 
big old no. I don't know how far Muskoka is from Toronto. It's got to be more. That's got to be more than two and a half hours by foot. It's fire. It's okay. real fire. I got a. I got a great uncle there. He's a real nice guy. Great uncle Richard. In He's Muskoka real, or Toronto? Just outside of Muskoka. In uh, what's it, what was it called? I forget. I'm not gonna remember the name of the town, but it was okay. just Ravenhurst. We did it. Okay. Ravenhurst, which is just near in the Muskoka area. Really nice, old, very autistic, very old man who has this enormous train set in his basement. He's one of my one of my favorite relatives. Really cool guy. Love it. He continues to do the the steamboat tours there. There's steamboats in Ravenhurst. There's the oldest running <laughs> steamboat in Canada in Ravenhurst. I didn't know. I didn't know we had steamboats in Canada. Right. 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 That's very like Southern U.S. Like I'm thinking like you know, Dixieland kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We were rich enough to have a few at that time. And there's one of them is still running at least. Amazing. It is. It is. The things you don't know about your own country. You got to go out and wander around. I didn't know this, uh, that stuff till I stumbled on it either. Right. Like it's not something you could even look up if you wanted to. It's got to go and find it or have it find you or however that I- works. I mean, I think you could probably look up like a riverboat tour in, in Ravenhurst if you knew about it. If somebody exactly, that's the, see, this is this is a thing about the internet, right? People yeah. think like, oh, everything is out there. You can find everything. You're still just like the old days, limited to your imagination, limited to the things that you can think to think about. You know, like yes, there's unlimited possibilities, but unlimited is a lot more limited than it sounds. I feel like that's that's a temporary problem. I feel mm. like the more Mark Zuckerberg kind of deep burrows into our cortex, it's mm. only a matter of time before he figures out things that you will like that you don't yet even know exist, but just based on their algorithms, they'll figure, well, mm. you know, Dan likes paintings and forests and his great uncle Richard. I bet he <laughs> would absolutely love X. Mm. It's only a matter of time. They already spy on any of your voice chats that go through Messenger. And so they're listening to us right now. I don't know about Zoom. Right now. Uh, I don't I don't know about Zoom, but there's a good chance. Mm. I mean, I you know, I don't think it's paranoia to say that, you know, trust but mm. verify. You need to you need to follow along and make sure oh, that, that you're not saying anything seditious over Zoom. Well, it's, it's absolutely true that, that all of this is being monitored in some way or another or being collected by some computer somewhere, but yep. there's, there's, not enough, there's not enough humans around to listen to all the other humans, right? Like to have perfect, perfect, uh, perfect monitoring, you would need half of the earth listening to the other half of the earth. Because like, I don't know if you know this about computers, but computers are not smart enough to deal with human speech data like we talk in a way that makes sense to each other right but what we're doing right now is actually very very complicated and full of all these nuances and strange little things that cause computers to just have an explosion like they can't deal with that stuff but we have speech to text technology and i mean i've used dragon mm-hmm. naturally speaking and it's like it's 95 percent of the way there you have to have really flawless diction to get it to work perfectly with a nice mm. microphone but i i can envision using like i'm going to upload this podcast as an audio file as a video file mm. how hard would it be for google to take every single 
piece of audio that goes through its online provider, let's say Google Podcasts or YouTube or Spotify, mm. and process it into text, Microsoft already lets you do transcripts of all of your podcasts up to five hours uh, a month through Microsoft 365. It creates a transcript for you. And mm. then based on the words in the transcript, it highlights enough keywords to say, these might be interesting to our advertisers. Let us sick a human on it to further investigate paragraphs 185 and 189 of the Dan mm. and Antonio podcast episode so that we sure. can sell them on more steamboat tours. I, I, I still, per, I, I don't think that would be enough for them to get stuff to sell me. I don't, I don't Yet. think it goes that far. Yet. I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to bet the odds. I'm going to bet the opposite of what you're betting that, that automation and uh, all of this data monitoring is ultimately a complete failure and a drain purely off of advertisers, which are yep. very rich right now, but they're getting way poorer because they're just throwing money away. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm betting the odds that it's just a, it's just a big drain and a, and a, and a fake industry. That's, that's, that's what I believe, but we'll have to see. We I, got, love your, I love you. I love your optimism. I want to believe you. I absolutely want to believe that's true. I'm basically, well, here's the thing that may, might convince you to join, join my side of the argument. What I'm betting on is essentially the craziness of people. Okay. The problem exactly. is that computer, how to say this, computers can't figure out people because people change too fast. We're too crazy. We don't make sense most of the time and computers inherently make sense. Computers must make sense in order to get to the next step basically, of their programming. If they don't make sense, they crash. They stop functioning. Humans, if, if we don't make sense, we just shrug our shoulders and do another thing instead. You hmm. know what I'm saying? Hmm. If, 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 if all we're surrounded by illogical circumstances, we go, well, I don't know. My heart's still beating. Yes, I'll just do something else. So like, here's another way of putting it. Somebody else told me this. Uh, you don't have to worry about computers taking over the world until somebody learns how to program ambition. Hmm. In order to learn how to program ambition, we would have to understand what ambition is and then turn it into math. But we're not even close to that right now. So uh, I'm not worried yet. We don't know how to program ambition yeah like a computer would have to want to take over you know would have to want to do that for some ambitious personal reason i mean yeah i agree the human agency doesn't really factor into computers they don't really want to do anything but maybe on some macro level organizing the world to its whim would be to borrow your earlier term rational it might be it might be that that makes sense it makes sense mm -hmm. to make things ordered and in order to make things ordered it has to gain some control on the mm -hmm. seemingly disordered or erratic humans who may or may not be erratic they may be erratic at a micro level that we can perceive but at a much broader macro level we're just these chemical robots that are behaving exactly as we should be it's just mm. we as individuals can't perceive that 
cosmic marble dance that's going on. Mm. It would be it would be crippling if we could. There's like that that Douglas uh, that Douglas Adams bit about the 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 uh, oh, what's it called again? It's like the perspective machine or something where a woman walks into this box and she immediately like the the purpose of the box is to show a person the size of the universe, the entire universe relative to yourself, and the box drives everybody that ever walks into it insane because they realize in that moment how, how small they are, how small all of this stuff that you care about is compared to the universe, you know? Ooh. I don't know, I don't know if deep. I buy it. I love it. I, I like it, I don't know if I buy it. I think, I think uh, you can be small and you can still be important. Absolutely. You know? I, I, I'm 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 very much enjoying this profundity. This is I, 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 I've, I've I've gotten I've gotten exactly what I've wanted out of this so far. So I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled that we're 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 doing this. We're having this Hell chat. Yeah. I want to yeah. talk. I want to talk about your artistic endeavors because mm -hmm. you are a painter, a graphic designer, a spinner of dank memes, a, oh. no, a novelist. I did I novel. Mean, I did write a novel. Yeah. And, that, and, that one seems to be sort of like, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Like how did the visual mm -hmm. arts, I kind of see them tied together. When, how did you get into book writing? Well, that's, I mean, and that's interesting because that's all sort of from the outside in from me, from the inside out, I started off writing and really? fell, fell into all the visual stuff. Okay. Um, like probably uh, one of the more like uh, influential things in my whole life was this copy of the Lord of the Rings that I had in, in my house when I was growing up, which was this big leather bound, extremely deluxe edition with all these beautiful like uh, illustrations in it. I, I, I wish I knew the, the name of the edition so I could, so I could drop it. But, and, and I, I couldn't read it. I remember being small and looking in this thing and it was this magical thing and I couldn't interpret it. And so I spent a bunch of time, like I learned how to read from that book and, uh, and like learned a lot of my sort of style from those pictures as well. And that, uh, That's that was quite a, a tome to sink your teeth into to learn how to read. Per se. I, don't, I, I, I just, all I can remember is sitting with it and being like, what is that word and asking people what was the word was and then going back to it, you know, like I'm not, I, was, I don't know how old I was at the time four, six or something. Um, and that was such a transform. It was, it was like, it, it took me away. You know what I mean by that? Like the way art takes you away. I remember being very small and still being yeah. transported, completely transported by this. And so uh, it just from that, it made sense for me. I'm not really sure what the bridge was, but for me to start keeping journals and things like that. So when I was like, you know, uh, kid all throughout. I was writing in these journals that I had and stuff like that, which eventually turned into uh, writing song lyrics, writing poems and things like that. Then it was actually through, um, there was a bunch of years, I still do it now. Um, every, every year at Christmas, I put out a little, little booklet for just my friends and family, which is my 12 best poems that I wrote over the year. And 
uh, one of those poems was just this like little thing that I liked so much that I kept working on it and it kept growing and growing. And then eventually just, I realized that it needed to be, needed to be a book. Wow. Um, yeah. That's, I, I, did you always know that you wanted to pursue something creative to do creative writing or drawing or the arts? Um, I didn't always know, but I was always doing it. Yeah. Uh, I, I coming at, well, all I cared about when I was in high school was girls. If that, if that clears up anything, that's amen. really literally all I cared about. A a amen. <laughs> I mean, I can, you know, <laughs> that's, like, you, I, you, you, me and half of Immaculata high. And it's like, so some people like mixed up their interests though. You know, like some people was like, I'll do a little sports. I'll do a little girls. You know, I was just strictly only girls, no sports, no nothing else. Um, but I, I guess at a certain point, I just felt satisfied with what I had learned, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, well, obviously. What, what you, know, you learned about girls. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All there, all there, all there was to learn had been satiated. Uh, certain, more more just it's like coming up against the edge of the ocean and being like there's no i can't learn all that well i guess i better just go down a different path of learning you know so it's more like more like I that i never hear it described quite as a, a learning experience it's usually more of a of a i don't you know how do, how do you say this without being crass it's almost more transactional it's like a resource mm. it's like you know sure. i don't learn about food i consume it and then right. i have more until i've you know become engorged and full and sick and i hate myself <laughs> so it's like i don't learn about girls but i receive favors and then i return with something and then i return with something from there sure that's a very consumerist way of thinking about it i i think i i think that's sort of how i've i've been you know how we maybe have been indoctrinated. Maybe, maybe sure. not you, maybe not. You. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have a more of a didactic approach to it. Uh, at this point, uh, at this point, what is my approach? My, my approach with almost everything now, including, but not limited to girls and boys is take it as it comes. I've got, I've got almost no uh, worries about the greater structure anymore, partially because of where we find ourselves now and partially because of, uh, I spent, I put a lot of time and effort into trying to figure out some of those bigger issue problems, right? Like, like, uh, what's the deal with boys and ghouls? What's the deal with different races? All these things, like, I, I have the time to attack these problems through history and through writing and, and really grapple with them. And when you grapple with something for long enough, you kind of realize that the struggle is the struggle. How to say that so nobody's looking for a solution. We're not looking for solutions. We're looking for temporary activities as we move forward together. Does that, uh, that man, that was trying to encapsulate something large real quick. Well, I mean, I think it's sort of to tie back to the Camino. It's not about, you know, it's very cliche, but it's not about the destination. It's about that right. journey. It's about so, that internal struggle where we have to mm. kind of, learn to coexist and obviously where people are trying to get to that destination but that maybe mm. isn't what builds that sense of community right right shared struggle i think is the just the thing that builds community and we have a lot of shared struggle staying alive on earth is hard as it is you know 
Like yeah. there's like droughts and thunderstorms. And she goes, we've got enough problems. We don't need to invent new ones, guys. Yeah. Wait, but how did this start? This started out asking me, sorry. I was asking you, if you knew, I, I was yeah. asking you if you knew from an early age or if you always knew that you wanted to mm. pursue something creative or artistic as a quote unquote career. And I don't know how you feel about mm. labeling it as a career. I, it's, it's fine. Cause I, I think I know what that word means. Um, that's people pay me to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I was always doing little things like that. I had my I had my journals, and I, you know another story from my dad is he told me that I came back from kindergarten one day with this uh, with this uh, piece of cardboard with some with some noodles, some macaroni art on it. Okay. And he said, and he said he just he he did a double take between me and the macaroni art a few times because it had movement. He said, he's a photographer. Whoa. And it's just like, it just, it didn't, it didn't make any sense that I was able to ha capture movement with the macaroni art. And I don't know whether that's like his memory, you know, changing things up. Like if he's, a, if, if he's a photographer, it's like, maybe he's inferring his own artistic thing in there. Right. right? He was hoping he's like, Oh, this kid's got movement in his macaronis. Ooh, we got a We got a live one. Yeah. Maybe uh, either way though, that's sort of, you know, one of those stories that stands out. Um, For sure. But, but I also, I got kind of thrown into it. Um, uh, I was going to be a journalist, but I flunked out of journalism school and then I went traveling for a while. I, I remember running into you apropos of nothing, like in 2006 or seven at Carlton. Mm -hmm. And you told me you were going to Europe to find yourself. Oh, and I, I hope I use those words. Exactly. You literally, you literally <laughs> said that. And I mean, I'm the sort of person, I guess I was that person. I don't know if I'm still that person where I was like, I, I probably walked away with this like very like disdainful, like <laughs> ugh, you need to fucking pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get a job hippie. You know, you, you, you quite literally in the low building at Carlton told me you were going to Europe to find yourself. Oh my God. What is too bad? I don't want to embarrass you and then no, sort of record this great. moment forever. No, yeah. it's great. I should be, I should be embarrassed of my younger self. It encourages me. We all, sh we all should be. <laughs> we, I mean, I, I, I go back and forth because I'm like the shame propels me to do something different, but at the same time yeah. I have to give compassion to myself and say, you know what? I was a kid back then. I did this. You can do both. We can do both. We can be ashamed and compassionate for the same creature at the same time. It's totally Are they not fine. mutually exclusive? Nah, nah. Emotions come in a big bundle. They come in a big, like water and they just splash all over you. And sometimes they're mixed. It's, it's, it's a pain in the ass, but it's true. So journalism was the attempt to be like, sort of button down sort of yeah. this is this is this is the the big yeah. c career and i'm always gonna have my art to kind of moonlight and then that i didn't that, know i didn't have any art at that time that was just something i knew about or writing or, or mm -hmm. yeah you know was, I, never, I, I i use art sort of in a broad sense like writing poetry mm -hmm. painting the whole the whole nine yards there I, I still had not made the jump to thinking of myself as a creative person at this point okay. i was still just sort of following the steps and in the background, yes, I was writing my journals and drawing pictures instead of taking notes in class, all that stuff. But I wasn't, if, if we're talking about what was the moment that I knew. 
Yeah. It didn't come until I got back from Europe and I was living on Lisger Street in a house with a bunch of bums. It was a really fun party house. It was cool. Should have made a movie about it. And I was living with this girl and she, her last boyfriend had been a painter and she entered this contest uh, with Patrick John Mills Art Gallery. Uh, shout outs to Patrick John Mills. He has a place still in Renfrew now. You should go visit it. Um, and she just kind of talked me into applying to the contest as well. I don't know why, what was her you know, idea behind that, why she got, wanted to do that, but I was like, okay, fine. So I made some ink stuff and I drew it on a piece of wood and I went down there and, and he liked it. Patrick liked it. He liked my work. He liked her work. He put up both of our work and a couple of the pieces that I put up sold. So I made money off of that. And I just, at the time I was just, that's weird. You know, I went in and it was just all this fun thing that I was doing basically just to accompany my girlfriend at the time. And then he just handed me some cash. You're a professional artist. What? Really? Okay. (laughs) You know, and I ended up working with him for a couple of years, actually. He was, that was a, sort of a mentor figure in my life has been definitely Patrick. And he, he definitely uh, spent a bunch of that time just trying to convince me that what I had inside of me was worth teasing out. Like at this wor- point, did you have any formal training? Does no. He, no. None. And that, it didn't, that didn't matter to him at all. And it, it, I, I would say, from, I, I found over the years, and even at that time, it was true that too much formal training for me, this is a personal thing, too much formal training kills a spark in me in some way. Because uh, I, what I love most, and it, it, and it comes out in all of these different things, in the traveling and all that stuff, is exploration. The idea of exploring. And you can explore both physically in the world, but you can also explore yourself. You can also explore your memories. You can explore your reactions to different things. Uh, you can uh, go as deep as you want to um, using your imagination, using um, breathing, using different tools. And uh, what he was teaching me was that it was possible to take that exploration and make it public. Does that make sense? It was like, you can be sort of mining yourself, right? You can, you can be. You can let others in on the exploration. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the John, on that journey, whether it's inside, whether it's outside, whether it's wherever you want to go with it. I, I love this concept of journey that keeps coming up as mm-hmm. we're, we're going along. This just very organically. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So there's this exploration. You're inviting people in, and mm-hmm. and the formal training. That's just what. What is that? Is that just getting bogged down in the weeds when you're trying to see the forest? I think that's. I think that's a personal. I think that's a personal thing that that depends on the person. At the end of right. the day, uh, like, like for for myself, I'm very happy going day to day. Like even in this sort of world situation right now, I'm not worried about what's going to happen in six months. That's just not. That's not my horizon. Whereas I have friends right now who feel very uncomfortable based off of the fact that their horizon has shrunk because they want really as for a sense of self and safety to know where they're going to be in a certain number of months. They want to know the next 12 to 18 so they can mm-hmm. live in, live in the moment. I get that. 
And that's very that. similar to how it works with, uh, well, for example, with painting. If I had trained for eight years in the conservatory, I would know already how to represent a tree, right? Like a right. specific tree would have gone over that multiple times. There would have been a class for trees specifically. Now I have to sit down, even still having done it for years, I still have to sit down and look at the tree and look at my hand and the paints and everything and be like, okay, how am I going to do this? Like how, how, how do those colors look? How does this brush, how is it shaped? And that act of connecting those things is an exploration. Does that, mm -hmm. does that make sense? It is this, it's this new thing that I go through and is then recorded. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the hmm. experiential process hmm. that gives you something more than someone just lecturing you as to this is how you do it. Is that what I'm hearing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, and it, it, it's because for me, I'm not, I, I, I don't have a goal when I sit down with it necessarily. Like I, it's not like I have a painting in front of me and then a landscape and I'm like, I want to take the landscape and I want to put it here. Instead, I, I just go and I sit with in a certain spot and then I've got this and this and I'm like, let's see what happens. Let's just, let's just roll with it. Because personally, I love the process so much that it doesn't matter to me where we end up. You wow. know, some, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not, but that's just, I, I love the process so much that it's enough. But I, I just, I love that idea that you're, you're not going in with any goals you're not going in with any preconceived notions so it's like how do you get disappointed by that you know how many times have i started an artistic project and you're like you know i've dabbled in drawing and it's like okay today i'm gonna draw a hand well no the pinky's all wrong the wrist is too wide you know there's not enough mm -hmm. wrinkles on here yeah, you know, the, yeah. shade, the shading's all completely fucked up and, yeah. and 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 before you know it it's like you know, you came in with these expectations and as soon as they get thwarted, it's mm -hmm. like, you can't go on. Mm -hmm. you, you've just, you, you pissed yourself off before you can even start a project. So what, what I'm hearing you say is like, don't even mm -hmm. go in with those preconceived expectations. Uh, or at least have them be realistic because it's very hard to draw a hand. So yeah. maybe you should be more fair with yourself. <laughs> You're, you're saying you know? I can't just sit down and be Rodin and just, you know. I mean, no. You want to be Rodin? He was already know. a guy. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's just. Really good. I'm not complaining. You know, no, I know. But it's like, you know, photorealism always seems like it's like mm. you, you want things to look like the things that are the things. And then at the same time, we have a camera. So it's like, is that really, is that really what I'm going for? photorealism hasn't been especially uh like like appreciated in art since since uh, visual art since the camera yeah absolutely that's just sort of uh, one of those things they teach you in art history school now it's like um if you wanted to something to represent something you would take a picture of it if you wanted to if you wanted it to represent your connection with the thing that's where you start thinking about the different ways that you can do art so again, of... I mean, when you're talking about your connection, it comes back to the importance of 
how you approached it, how you crafted it, what your mm. relationship to the art is more mm. than the final product itself. The final product is at best sort of emblematic of the process that you took to get there. Mm. As it still is involved too. I guess think of it like a third thing. So there's like your subject, that's mm -hmm. like, uh, which is sort of what you're trying to get at. There's your, your, your painting, which is like how you're trying to get there. And then there's you, which is the thing trying to, trying to like bridge the gap somehow. So there's a way of almost respecting all three of those things. Like you want the painting to turn out well. So you sure. look at it and you're like, well, I might put some red there and that makes it better. But I also want myself to feel good by the end of it. So I'm like, okay, I'll stand up and take a little walk and, and sit back down with it and you also want to show respect to your subject matter as much as possible which involves like um, you know showing it in its best light and, and being honest about it so I'm not sure what I'm not sure what I meant to say with that no that's Always. cool that's cool I get that I get that mm. expectations mm. I mean I feel like we've always got the expectations of others and now mm -hmm. that you're in this place where you're a professional artist where you're ostensibly not only trying to create something meaningful but also trying to sell something meaningful do mm -hmm. you ever find that there's that that dichotomy that pull where i'm going to put more ducks in this painting because ducks really <laughs> sell <laughs> uh, uh, no i mean Yes and yes and no. Uh, I, I, early on, uh, I tried, for example, doing commissions. Yeah, I failed miserably every single time. You know, I, I did this commission where I had to do a painting of a golfer that was going to be sold at an auction for old men. Ooh, and it was the most god awful, disgusting thing I ever painted. It looked terrible. It just looked like looked like if if, if Archie was made of vomit. It was, it was really bad. Wow. It was bad. And, That's quite and the imagery. I still got paid for it, though. The guy came and he looked at it. And he was like, hmm. And then he just took it and left, gave me the money, ran out the room, basically. But his... one, of those, one of those criticisms about fine art is that whole, like, emperor's new clothes adage. And, I mean, mm. people love to complain about the the red dot on the white canvas at the uh, at the national art gallery or right the, john the, cage's 433 you know where it's just four minutes and 33 seconds of silence mm -hmm. and it's kind of the thing that like on the one hand you know there's expectations but no one's ever going to no one wants to say i don't like this art because you open yourself up to to ridicule at that point you should say it I would like to encourage all people around the world to express their voracious dislike of art. Because <laughs> then we wouldn't have people spending $2 million on like Tongue of Fire and stuff like that. Yeah, at the National Gallery. Absolutely. Uh, but, they, but they do that. They do that partially because of that kind of juste milieu where everyone has to praise everything and everything creative is good. But also mm -hmm. my understanding is a lot of those fine art galleries are like a convoluted tax scheme. 100%. One, yeah. uh, like, like uh, there's a, in, in Ottawa at the national art gallery, for example, there's the, the art fund, which is a, a group of people who go around buying promising Canadian art for the permanent collection. Mm -hmm sounds wonderful that sounds like exactly what you would want but what yeah, happens absolutely. is they buy your work and they put it in a warehouse 
on the edge of town by the by the uh, the old uh, science and technology museum. Maybe it's still there. I don't know. It, it, they re, they revamped it. It looks beautiful. You should check oh, it out. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll, I'll go when I'm in town. The uh, old but, museum of science and technology, as an aside, was apparently an abandoned bread factory, and so it was no. rife with mold when they <laughs> they had to uh, renovate it back in like 2016. Oh man, I still remember the train room though. I yes. love the train room. The train room is still there. The train. Oh, room is thank still there. God. There's okay. no ch- the chick hatchery is gone, but Rip. they they saved the crazy kitchen by popular demand. Oh man, I would be that. That was that was a formative place. That's some place that teaches kids that your brain works weird. That's a really yeah. important knowledge. <laughs> it's an so, important so, thing so, to learn. So so the, so the Canadian Art Fund buys this art and then stores it the same way I might store canned peas in, yes. in my basement. Exactly, exactly. And they just go for away. a rainy day in case you die and become famous. In case you die and become famous or in case they need for a specific political reason, they need like underappreciated uh, national capital region artists or something, that kind of stuff. But for the, the people I know who have got their pieces in there have never seen them again. And neither has anyone else seen them again. If I, did, if, I, if, I, if I didn't know better from how you're describing it, this sounds like a very crass system that is very anti-art. It's, it's, well, it depends on what you mean by art, you know, is art like a, a, the collective expression of like humans across time, like somehow captured into any medium possible, or is okay. it like this, this is, or is it a vast edifice that uh, the, the state uses to explain culture to the masses? I mean, in either one. event, in either event, even if you were just doing Stalinist propaganda with like, you know, Justin Trudeau handing bushels of wheat to the people, you still wouldn't, you still wouldn't want it housed in a warehouse. It's not achieving its propagandistic purposes. Well, no, people don't know about the warehouse though. So, and then what little nectar escapes from the warehouse is so pure, right? That people just go, wow, where did you get, where do you have all this stuff? You know? Amazing. Do you you don't have any pieces in there, do you? No. No. Okay. No, I never I never I've never hit it big. I've I've uh I've had some decent well received shows. I've done some shows in Montreal. Um at this stage though, I've actually sort of moved away from doing shows and I just work for my friends and I sell my paintings to like family members who don't have them yet and like I've got some contacts in Central America, for example, so I sell through them sometimes. Wow. I've uh, just kind of like, uh, I, I, I mean, there are really big names in, in painting right now, but that's a very neat, sort of niche world. So there's like Peter Doig, you know, like, do I want to be a Peter Doig? Do I want to be a multimillionaire painter? Thomas no. Kincaid. Right. No, I've got all. I've no. got all his smoke. I buy his smoky cottage calendars. <laughs> My grandfather is a landscape painter, so I mean, mm, you know, very cool. But, but but something really like that that really butters his biscuit. Those those mm. you know little light coming through the window, sitting mm. in that little idyllic forest. But it's like it's the same painting every time, you know. Right, and that that's a very um, manly form of painting as well because it's extremely technical. Like in order to accomplish that type of work, you need to use like rulers and like a bunch of calculations. And are stuff rulers like that. are rulers manly? 
Yes. <laughs> now, 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 our ruler is manly because of this this antiquated notion of rationality and science equals man, or is it more Freudian? Like, there's the phallic nature of the ruler itself. I think any tool is manly, and we'd like to think it was because of the rational reason, but it's actually because men are kind of like slower and dumber. I don't want to even want to start doing men and women shit. That's that's bad. Content. But even so, any tool is masculine. That still any sounds tool? phallic. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and it's just like I, I feel like uh, why don't you just draw a line? Is what yeah. a, is what a woman would say. Just draw mm-hmm. a line. You don't need no stupid ass thing. Just Love just it. go draw a line. You know. <laughs> is 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 making it big still something that's on your radar you said you haven't made it big yet what does making it big mean for you and uh what does that look like making it big i i mean to me, i don't have a lot of lifestyle goals i guess so making it big i think the usual way of thinking about it is i got a big mansion up on the hill with my family and my boat and all that stuff and then I'm absolutely big. And I, then i know i'm big um and I don't have a lot of lifestyle goals. I'm, I'm happy with simple things. I, I mean, I, you can see I have one room. This is where I'm at. This one room. Yeah. You know? and I'll be here for, you know, a few months and it's, it's totally fine. Um, so so making, it, making it big would just be being able to not worry about money indefinitely, I suppose. I mean, I've got a good sort of flow going. So, um. I mean, it's so far off my radar, I guess, to say that I'm not even sure what it would look like if it happened. You know what I mean? No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, what I'm hearing is like you're 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 in a good spot. It's not necessarily that you're chasing something right now. I, I I'm chasing the work. That's what that's what I want. I want to make good paintings. I'm what I want to write a good poem. That's what I'm chasing. And, and, and that to me is more valuable ultimately and more selfishly valuable even than, than making a lot of money off of working uh, because a really good poem or a really good painting is going to bring more glory to people and me and my family's name or whatever over the course of history than any amount of money I make would. Right? So leg- legacy is something that you would see as important. Oh, I was. Uh, uh, when I'm dead, I'm going to be dead. I'm not going to be worrying about that. No, that's just something, another way of looking at uh, um, making it big. You could make it big historically, too, which is another sort of interesting way of putting it. No, I'm not. Uh, I use legacy to, to motivate myself some days when I'm not feeling motivated. Like what, what do you want your great grandkids to remember about you? Yeah. I use that uh, as a, as a motivator, but it's not something if they think I'm an asshole, that's fine <laughs> too. But if, you were an, if, but if you were a brilliant asshole who made oh, some that'd really be perfect, movie. that would be ideal. Oh man. Cause then they'd leave me alone and I would get to make good work. That'd be great. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of legacy, it's 10 o'clock. I know you said you got paper thin walls. I think I hear a baby upstairs through my baby monitor. I, I can't believe it's already been 90 minutes. I, that was fun. I, feel, I feel like we could have done another hour. 
Pop. Call me again. Personally, I w- we will do this again. I'm still mm-hmm. tinkering with the technology, but I definitely think that there's more to talk about here with yeah. art and life and what an introvert and an extrovert is. You're good at this too. Don't give this up. You got a good, like, uh, you got a good, it's maybe it's like radio, radio cadence. I'll call it that. You're, you're oh, good at this. So flattery, don't, don't flattery will, flattery will get you everywhere. If I'm somebody, just telling the truth, man. If somebody listening to this, and I mean, who cares if you listen, but if somebody does <laughs> listen to this and they want to know more about your art, where, where can they find you? How can they find you? You have a website? Uh, uh, you'll have to you'll have to listen again to the excellent podcast. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna bring to you're right gonna now. bring a you're gonna bring a cavalcade of art. We'll just wheel them by on YouTube, and yeah. and people can yeah. see your 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 latest oeuvre. Exactly, exactly. I love it's, it. it's it's uh, it's exclusive for now, but it, make it worth my while, and you can find enough about it. Dan, thank you so much. <laughs> this has been an awesome ride. I enjoyed chatting with you, fun. and it was quite a journey. And talk to you soon. All right, you take care. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Well, that's another episode of Who Cares If You Listen in the Can. As I'm sitting here doing post-production, I'm reflecting on that conversation I had with Dan, and I really admire artistic people like him who can simply go out and create and go out into the woods and draw that tree Pack up all your belongings and just move when a place no longer serves you. Uh, That sense of journey where people don't over-obsess over your first step and your second step and your third step to the point where you don't end up doing anything at all. So while I'm sitting here trying to drown out the sounds of my kids stomping above my little basement studio, I think it's, it's good advice for anybody who gets bogged down in details and in technical specifications that you really just need to go out there and create. And if you do have a calling, if you do have a knack, those gifts are going to shine through one way or another. So that was sort of the impetus for me, even starting this podcast journey and then getting a chance to share it with really cool, really interesting people like Dan. Uh, has just made it worthwhile for me. So I'm hopeful to get more guests like that that really uh, pique my own curiosity and hopefully are of interest to you. And if not, well, that's on you. And who cares if you listen? Take care. Bye-bye. Who Cares If You Listen is a podcast recorded by me, Antonio Jambardino, and hosted by me, Antonio Jambardino. The theme song was written by me, the end credits are based on a tune by Autorito Respighi and also played by me, badly, on my Techniques KN1400. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback about this podcast or anything else, you know where to find me. And if you don't, I probably don't want to hear from you, so you can just keep your comments to yourself. Have a good night, and take care of yourself. <laughs>